0: Well, good morning, Redeemer. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Happy Father's Day. Thank Happy you. Father's Day. For those of you who were here on Mother's Day, and the text included David paying two hundred Philistine foreskins as a bride price, that's what we covered on Mother's Day. You may be wondering what? What does the Lord have in store for Father's Day? And my wife suggested that I post a picture as a, a preview of my sermon yesterday, and it was just a barn burning. <laughs> I was quite shocked a little bit. It's going to be good. Our text this morning is for Samuel. I'm going to turn there. <coughs> Chapter 22. This will be our last uh, Samuel sermon before we start some uh, hopeless things over the summer. So we're going to be looking at verses 6 to 28. Before we do that, let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the ministry of Samuel and David, for Ahimelech. Lord God, we thank, you for the, we thank you for the example that they set for us. We thank you, Lord, uh, for all the good fathers that resemble you, who imitate you, who follow you. We know, Lord God, what it means to be a good and loving child. As we look at the text this morning and we look at the deep and abiding father failure, one that assails us on every side, we pray, Lord, that you would give us hope, give us repentance, and comfort us, it's teach us what it means to have a Father in heaven who he is not a failure. We thank you and praise you. Amen. Now, earlier in chapter 19, Saul had failed to take the field against God's enemies. And you remember uh, at the time, his failure to go into the field and fight the enemies about his field meant that he came home and looked for war against his own household. David was playing music in peace because he had on household fought the enemies of God. He had peace at home, because he fought the enemies of God on the battlefield that he was supposed to. We see, though, the fruit of this. This is a pattern that Saul has gotten into, and it's not changed. He is not putting to death the dragons in his own heart, the dragons in his own home, the dragons in the temple of the Lord, the dragons in the land, and so instead, he is himself becoming a dragon. When you make peace with dragons, you yourself are a dragon there's no two ways about it uh, i can't emphasize it enough there are only two paths there are only two options you are either the George slaying the dragon or you are the dragon devouring the princess that's it that's only the options. and saul has not chosen well now we saw him he, he was in fact the dragon's way back in chapter 11 he had defeated the Ammonites and he slew Nahash, Nahash means serpent. He was a dragon killer. He went out and fought dragons and killed them and defended his So, what's happened? What's happened? Slaying serpents in the world is meaningless if you don't slay the serpents in your own heart. It doesn't matter who we go up against on Facebook. It does not matter who we go up against in the world. If we're not killing the dragons at home, we're not killing the dragons in our own hearts. We are making peace with dragons, and we will, will either be devoured by them or become them. What we're going to see here is that Saul and Eli and David are fathers who, through their and omission, and omission, would not slay the dragons for them. And so themselves became the dragons. They are the ones that God has protected Israel from, opposed to being men that protect Israel. Israel is suffering, as we all do, from a profound father failure. Like Adam, Saul has left the way of the cross and taken the path of self and in was destruction. So that's right and center. Colossians chapter 3 verse 5 through 6 says this. Put this to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. On account of these, the wrath of God is come. Now, are you going to be, right? Are you a dragon in the land that he has to destroy? Or are we on the side of the angels, the side of the Lord? Are we going to do that dragons in our hearts, in our land, in our home, and in the temple of the Lord? Now, the Lord does not want us to be deceived in any way, shape, or form. He wants us to see. What does it look like when there is a man who will not put his flesh to death? What does it look like when there's a man who will nurture his family, nurture his envy, nurture his, nurture his uh, murderous covetousness? What does it look like? So this is what it looks like. 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 6 to 8. Now Saul heard that David was discovered, and the men who were with him, Saul was sitting at Gibeah under the tamarisk tree on a height with a spear in his hand. And all the servants were standing about him, and Saul said to the servants who stood about him, Hear now, people of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? That all of you have conspired against me? No one discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is sorry for me, or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant and kiss me, to lie in wait as at this day. Now, in action, has little salt here. He's sitting at a high place. Spear in his hand, like a Philistine, brooding on his bitterness, brooding on how how no one feels bad for him. This is, it, you guys remember this? Okay. This is Saul's pity party. Not only is everyone conspiring against him, nobody feels bad for the poor. Poor little Saul. The world is so cool. <laughs> His nationality, his position, his responsibility, his family ties, all of it is forgotten because self is being assaulted. Self is being ballooned. Self is being attacked. They are conspiring against Saul. How dare them? And all of everything else that he should consider has gone up the window. His jealousy and covetousness have borne the child's envy, and envy has grown up. Envy is mature. Envy is ready to go to war. James chapter four, verse one through two. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. James chapter 1, verse 15. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Does it sound like there's a gray area there? the children of Satan breathe out lies and murder. That is what they do. The children of Satan breathe out lies and murder. Verse 7 says, Saul is with his servants who have received gifts from him. They are for all from the tribe of Benjamin. But I thought that he was the king of Israel. I thought he was the king of Israel, not the king of one tribe. Saul <laughs> sins against his son Jonathan and his son David because he is his son-in-law. Are not only tearing apart his own household, they are tearing apart the household of God. Because now he pr- prefers one tribe over all the others. He has become the self interested tyrant that Samuel had warned you about in chapter 8. Don't do it, guys. Don't want a king like the nations, because you will get a king like the nations. A man who prefers his own tribe, who will give away gifts not based on merit, but based on how it, how it helps him. He will hand out political favors. For those who serve him, those who will stand around him under a tamarisk tree while he's holding a spear and plotting the death of innocent men. Now, where's David? And He's accusing. This is the first accusation he makes against David that he ought to be making against himself. He keeps making false accusations. He says, David wouldn't do this to you, he wouldn't give you these things. Where's David right now? David is living in a cave with, with, with a whole bunch of people, a bunch of rabble rousing. This is where a bunch of nobody. And, and they're not from any particular tribe. He doesn't care where they're from. He cares. He cares about Israel. He cares about protecting Israel. And, and he, he's accusing right David of this tribalism. He's not going to give you this because you're not of his tribe. Well, he, he doesn't care about that. Well, so you care about that. And what we see here is we start to see the list the list grows. All of the things that Saul is accusing others of are the things he himself is are doing he's doing the things he's her about and this is the first tactic of manipulating of tyrants. David isn't going to favor his own tribe he isn't now secondly Saul accuses Jonathan and David men in his own household and anyone else who remains silent of their whereabouts and their actions as part of a vast conspiracy against himself right They're no lying Who's been lying in wait for who? Who's been sending men outside of David's house to capture his men? Who's been sending men into the wilderness to where the prophets are to capture David out there? Who's been lying in wait for who? Saul, what are you talking about? Jonathan has stirred up David against you. I think you've handled that business just fine on your own, Saul. No one has conspired against the longevity and the legitimacy of Saul more than Saul. But he wants to accuse everyone else. Well, you did this, you did this, you me, you're helping them. They did it. Who has been conspiring against Saul? Except Saul. Saul is the architect of his own demise. And as he diminishes, as he sidelines, as David is preferred first by Israel, then by Yahweh, his daughter Jonathan, the guard around him, everybody is preferring David. And who wouldn't? Would you rather go out and live in a cave with David, who's faithful serving God, or would you rather hang out with this club? Oh, and and Saul is the architect. He is the one doing all the things he's accusing everyone else of doing. Behold the power of self I wonder what yours is. I know. I have other things to talk about how about that? Happy Father's Day. Saul is the one committing the sins. He is accusing everyone of committing the very sins he's do. The more they reject his narrative, the more he has confirmed in his own mind that it is true. He wants them to affirm the story. They won't affirm the story. Their silence confirms it in his own mind. This is like our current situation in a couple of important ways. Recently, transsexuals, people with very deep spiritual, mental, and physical brokenness illness, accused straight people of transphobia for not wanting to date trans people. The disease label is transferred to the rejectors of the illness. Rejecting the trans illness is now, in fact, an illness. Rejecting the false narrative only confirms it in the minds of the keepers of the zeitgeist. Right? This is Let's all think back out of the trick that we played on. You science deniers. You bunch of science deniers. Don't you guys know how a how a virus works? Right? People who cannot define words like pandemic, boy, girl, monkey are going to tell us right. My favorite is weather. They don't understand how weather works, so they're going to tell us that it's to science. Because we won't confirm the official narrative. What is confirming? You guys are all part of the new conspiracy of anti science bars, and you are. You're not an That is how you are labeled. Because you will not accept the story. So all accuses everyone else of conspiracy, <laughs> lies, and disloyalty. Everyone's rejection of that narrative only confirms the validity of it in its own life. Now, the recent rejection of critical race theory, a breathing, lies, and murder, sorry, life, lives matter, is treated in the same way. I was recently told that the reason I don't want to support Black Lives Matter is because I'm rich and white and I'm afraid of losing my position. So that, that's a really interesting play button there. And I'm not going to affirm your statement. The politics of envy point the finger at microaggressions and systemic racism and economic or racial disparities, and failing to affirm this dangerous narrative only confirms the narrative in the minds of the community. These are the tactics of soft tyranny. These are the tactics of the mentally ill, the self-righteous racists, and the entitled state-sponsored slave traders. I'm tired of being told on the racist and the by people who want to keep the black community as slaves. Right? Don't don't wander too far from the house because you guys got to vote for Democrats. Affirm their narrative and have you. They've got you. Right? And and this is what Christians call into I want to be an open-minded person. I want to enter into dialogue, and I start affirming narratives, and they world. That's the ballgame. You affirm these narratives, and it's over with. Saul is deranged. He is the, 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 the psycho who thinks he's the last hand man in the And rejecting this herd only confirms it in his own mind. Saul has become AOC. <laughs> yeah. My favorite conversation. <laughs> Alexandria Ocasio Chavez. She has PTSD now. Did you hear this? She has PTSD for the combat that she was in on January 6th when the MAGA army assaulted the Capitol building and murdered her. And on the floor of Congress, she said that anyone who didn't support her narrative was part of a conspiracy to murder her Now, does this sound like salt to anyone else? Tyrants are going to tyrants. There's no two ways about it. <clears> These <throat> people want affirmation, and if you've told that you are confirming their narrative in their future Saul, SAL, AFC, Sessions, BLM, they want you to engage in dialogue and affirm the false narrative, if nothing else, as their personal truth. And when you do, you join their conspiracy against truth. Reject it. Don't affirm it. Don't take it seriously. This is our refusal is the number one weapon we have. When, you, when people come to you with lies, refuse it. I'm not going to answer your question. I'm not going to engage in this dialogue because I'm not going to assume the things that you are assuming are true are true. Because they're not. And it's not willing to do so. The politics and the isolation are as old well as man God doesn't want you to be like Satan said, hoping that you forgot that part where God Hold you, he made you in his own image. God is a liar, said the liar. God is withholding blessing from you, hoping that you forget the garden of yes that you were planted in. As soon as you validate the narrative, Satan has got you. No matter which of his children are peddling the false narrative of social justice, of liberalism within the church, false narratives opposed to biblical truth about family. Sexual ethics, Jesus. If you want to be woke, wake up to that. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons (coughs) and the insincerity of liars whose consciences are sealed. Does that not describe the modern American church? And its syncretism. And its wholesale sellout last year, of all of us, and it's continued to be, unmasked. we're seeing what we're dealing with now. The Civil War hasn't started yet, as Husslelson said, but the uniforms have been handed out. Whether it's, whether the acronym is ELM CRT, or AOC, whether the ism is liberalism, progressivism, feminism, secular conservatism, or communism, it's all Satanism. All of it. Don't give credence to the lies, the covetousness, the jealousy, the self righteousness, the root of bitterness that causes envy. And what does envy grow up to do? What does it grow up to become? So all the kids is his people who are being part of the conspiracy because they reject his conspiracy against David and Jonathan. They faithfully remain silent, they will not affront his madness, and the manipulating madman tells his followers that silence is violence. Let the hearer understand? 1 Samuel 22, 9-10 Then answered Goab Oh, okay, this is, this is super. Saul's got an ally, an Edomite. This is going to speak well. Then answered Goab the Edomite, who stood by the servants of Saul. I saw the son of Jesse coming to to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, and he required, required of the Lord for him, and gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philemon. Though so the men of Israel were not willing to inform on David, Doeg Edomite was only too happy to do so. Now, why would he? Why? Right? Is is, is joag just living in the darkness? He has no idea. He has no idea that he's an Edomite. He has no idea he's dealing with Israel. He's totally blind to the history of his people, the history of Israel. Sometimes our graciousness in these matters are the, is the problem. noag knows exactly what's going on. He has no problem causing someone within Israel because a weak enemy is easier to defeat. Israel was forbidden to attest the enemy. Don't attest the enemy, God said in Deuteronomy 23 But there was centuries long hostility between the two nations. You go all the way back to um, Genesis, it starts between Jacob and Esau. And Esau was the first enemy But you add this history bitterness. In difficulty, Israel was leaving Egypt and they wanted to cross through Edom, and Edom would not allow them. They did not give them safety, even though they were technically cousins. According to Psalm 137-7, the Edomites are pictured as haunting Jerusalem when she fell to Babylon. In Obadiah 10-14, Edom pointed over Jerusalem's fall and entered the city gate after their defeat and plundered the city. The Edomites are not Israel's friend. And when, right, and, and Saul is aligned with an Edomite against Israel. What does that tell us about Saul? Joag has no problem sowing discord. He can't avoid his own tribal interests. And it's not as if he does not know who the spirit he is of. We do not understand what that phrase means. That phrase does not mean what we can do. Joag knows exactly who he is, he knows exactly who his tribe is, he knows exactly what. He's using against Israel. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 to 16. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness law with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? If it is easier to find common cause with unbelievers, with statists and liberals and homosexuals, their version of love and confession, you have, if you more in common with Marxists than Christians, because they understand that Jesus said don't judge people, then there is a problem with your orthodoxy. You have a Jesus Christ problem. You have a gospel problem. You have a justification by faith alone problem. If it's easier to find common ground and allies amongst unbelievers, amongst Doag and the Edomites, you have a serious problem. It, it, it's easier to find allies outside of the church, against the church, there is a serious problem. Happy Father's <laughs> Day. <laughs> I'm not <gonna> go. <laughs> what, what is interesting here is Joag echoes the tone. He, he understands what Saul's so doing. He's going to play along. with it. He doesn't mention the fact that Ahimelech was a little worried when he did show up. He's not going to... Uh, mentioned the fact that uh, Himalayas asked questions of David. He's not going to mention the fact that he seemed scared and, and it was, was like, Hey, I need to confirm what's going on here before I can start helping him. conveniently forgets all of that because he's down with the narrative that Saul is telling. Because it's good for Adam, Adamites, it's good for you, it's good for the non believers. If you can weaken the house that you hate, it's good for you. A house divided can't stand. And Doed's like, Wow, I can score some points here and kill some Israelites in Israel. With the backing of the king of Israel, you don't think he's gonna go with that. You don't think the governor's gonna go with that? You don't think the president's gonna go with that. Let's hear you understand Dog I'm calling him dog. Okay. Dog the Adamite. <laughs> His wives are the fertilizer that will bring souls into fruition. First Samuel 22 11 through 15. Then the king sent to summon Ahimelech the priest and the son of Ahitub and all his father's house, the priests who were not at, uh, who were at that, and all of them came to king. Saul said, "Here now, son of Ahab, And he answered, "Here I am." And Saul said to him, "Why have you conspired against me? You and the son of Jesse, and that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him, so that he has risen against you So lie in wait as as at this day." Then Ahimelech answered the king. And uh, who among your servants is so faithful as David? Who is the king's son in law and captain over your bodyguard and honored in your house? Is today the first time that I have inquired of God for him? No. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or all the house of my father, for your servant has known nothing of all of this, much older. Saul applies his conspiracy theory to the age of him, like the age of the son of Jesse. Ahimelech appears not to have been alarmed at all by being summoned before the king. His conscience is clear, And he speaks <clears throat> up for David. He is speaking truth to talents. He is defying tyrants with well-reasoned arguments. Not threatened by Saul's spear, the raw, naked power play of all tyrants. You're going to go before the king, and he's going to hold a spear, and you know what he wants to hear, but you're not going to do it. Why? Because Ahimelech is a godly man. That's why. Because he fears God more than men. Even if it's the king, even if he has a spirit in his hand, Ahimelech will not let a righteous man be undermined, a righteous man be lied about, this false narrative to continue anymore. Someone has to stand up for Saul, and it's not his bodyguard, it's the church. He doesn't. That's what defense comes in five parts. David is your servant. David is loyal. David is a member of your family. David is the kind of your personal bodyguard. David is highly respected in your house. He argues that the med- mediatorial office he has given to David is nothing unusual. Right? And now God is in the conspiracy. Who's also on the conspiracy against Saul? Yahweh. And as we covered before, the medic violence, Saul can't get his hands all the way around the Lord's throat. Because that's who he's really got a problem with. All of this is about that. You rejected me, and I'm not only going to reject you. I'm going to reject everyone who's follows you. The, the leader of the conspiracy against Saul is who now, God, and he can't get his hands around God's throat. A man will have to do. It. And this is what we do. We can't get our hands around God's throat so we go to work on one another. There is nothing new under the sun. What's the punishment? How much of this is all going to take? 1 Samuel 22, 16 19. And the king said, You shall surely die, like you and your father's house. And the king said to the guard who stood about him, Turn and kill the priests so of the Lord, because their hand also is with David. And they knew that he fled and did not disclose it to him. But the servants of the king would not put out their hand to strike the priests of the Lord. Apparently, they had not read Romans 13. <laughs> <coughs> Well, it hadn't been written yet? No. No, that's not that Then the king said to Doeg, you turn and strike the priest. And Doeg, the Edomite, turned and struck down the priest. And he killed on that day 85 priests who were And now, the city of the priest, he put to the sword, both man and woman, child and infant, ox, donkey, and sheep, he put to the sword. Immediately, the king ordered all the priests executed. He heard enough. Himelech's arguments, his defense, is his death. The men who received this command were presumably false bodyguards who only had days before then under David's command. Their loyalty to him trumps their loyalty to the king. There is a the lower magistrate that they honor and that they will protect even if it means defying the king. David had previously stated that these men were careful to observe cleanliness regulations, implying that they weren't devout servants of Yahweh, and so, not surprising, they will refuse to fulfill the command of the king. Saul's attendants love and respect David. There is no seriously against the king, and so this is an unjust thing, and we will not do it. This is now the second recorded instance of Israel's refusal to carry out a foolish order from the king Saul. A great weapon to fight tyranny is refusal. Refusal. I read this in a Dave Villar letter. He's one of the founders of the IRA. And this was it he's like, Listen, not winning this war. At this point we have one weapon, and it's the weapon that's gonna get us there, and it's I refuse. I refuse. I refuse to follow that proclamation. I refuse to follow that order. I refuse to pay that tax. I refuse to do this. I refuse to do that. I refuse. And that often is our greatest weapon against terrorists. we ever Right? Now, did they spare the city by doing this? No. So they didn't soil their hands. Either. The servants unfaithful to the king are, however, faithful. To this reinforces the Israelite understanding that earthly kings possess unlimited authority, authority that Israelites must obey God rather than men, according to Acts five twenty nine. Now, the servant of Saul refused, choosing to defy Saul's tyranny by obeying God's standards of penance and ethics. But there is a faithful dog in Saul's house. He's perfectly willing and ready. And, and this is what he was waiting for. I look at I the Israelites uh, right here. I think killed priests. I don't even know if the king Christmas. His family back home, you're going to believe this. Guys, you won't even believe what they do? Not only did you let me pull did you let me the priests of Israel in their world seat. And he stood by and held their coat. He stood by and approved of what I did. This kind of mass execution we've covered before seems familiar, doesn't it? Doesn't it seem like a few chapters ago someone was supposed to put someone under the ban? Was supposed to commit harem, and he wouldn't do it, would he? Wouldn't. No, Saul was like, I can't do this to these poor elephants, but I can do it to Israel. He wouldn't put to death sins in his own heart, he wouldn't put to death the sins in his own house, and now he wouldn't fulfill God's command to put the unbelievers to the band, but he'll put Israel to the band. He'll slaughter men, women, children, and animals. In free- that's not in the city where the priests Slaughter all of them. Sir. I mean you refuse to do that to the a So whose enemy is he? Whose allies is he? Is there some middle ground here? Is there some gray area that we miss somehow? You're either for God or you're not. You're either for his people or you're not. If your allies are doing, if you're fighting the if you're willing to put the church to the ban. <laughs> if you're willing to attack it and accuse it, and find allies outside of the to attack it inside of you. i are not talking about different theological perspectives this. The uniforms have been handed out. Of the this is a great thing. A great sin. In Deuteronomy 13, it says that any Israelite city that goes after a foreign god is supposed to be put on way. But in Nov, it's the city of the priests, and they're supposed to teach everyone how to worship God. And this is who Saul was putting under the sword. And what? Because they were disloyal to God? No, they were disloyal to Saul. He has made himself God. This is it. He would not obey God. He refused to obey God. He refused to put the, the sins of his flesh to death, the dragons in his heart to death. And now what he is doing is making himself out to be God. So they are blue. What hope is there for Israel now? This is the king of Israel. And this is what he's doing to the priests of Israel. And he's doing it with foreign allies. First Samuel 22, 23, 23. But one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitham, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. And David said to Abiathar, I knew on that day when Goag the Adamite was there. That he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me. Do not be afraid. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me you shall be in safety. In the providence of God. now, this is where things get really interesting. Abiathar, one of the sons of Ahimelech, escaped the massacre, rescued the Ephod, and fled his David, who now has access to. The only surviving priest and the king designant are together driven into hiding like Jesus and John the Baptist. Each a support of the, the other. Abiathar and David's friendship continue right through David's reign, according to Solomon in 1 Kings 2. This is the moment they meet in the wilderness, they join side by side of the wilderness. David is not the rest of friends, David is not the rest of the word of the Lord, and they stay cheek by jowl all the way through David's reign. Because their fellowship is what? Obeying God. Serving young. But David makes an interesting <coughs> confession, here, and I think we have to look at it because he says that it's his fault that they all died. Now, what does that mean? I, it actually means something quite different than you think. It's not just like, oh, you know, by chance, I was I was there, and this happened to all of you guys because I was there. And he hates you. No, he finds fault himself because he didn't put Joab to death. He knew what knew that was doing. He knew he was a spy. He's an Edomite in the house of God. What is he doing there? Why is he there? And you will see that David learns from this lesson. Because later on, when he seems somewhat arbitrary and who he puts to death, it's because he learned a lesson here. By failing to kill an enemy that was clearly in his sights, he left the priesthood to be destroyed. And if he would have killed Doeg that day, he would have spared the household. But there's always more to the story. Because who said that this household of Ahimelech? would be destroyed the Samuel, actually, because these are all descendants of Eli. This is the house of the Eli, and, and it took three generations, but God finished the job. Now, there's a lot of questions here. The first one should seem obvious to us. The Himalayas seem like a good guy, doesn't so why would the wrath of God falling upon this fallen household fall on him? Why would it fall on him? Why would it fall on his brother who's serving Saul? Why would not it have fallen on some other member of the family? Why would the destruction of this household come now when there's a righteous man standing at the door? Why would God fulfill His judgment against Eli's house as a Why would God's wrath blow out on the priest for the sins of others? Why would one man bear the final blow of God's just judgment when he himself is loyal and touched and faithful in his life. Luke 24, verse 26-27 to 27. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning them a fallen household, a righteous son, who oh, bears upon himself the wrath of the just unto the sins of his fathers and brothers in that fallen household. This is the gospel according to Ahimelech. Every word of the Old Testament is about Jesus. Jesus comes as the faithful son, and all the wrath of a fallen house falls upon him. And why? Why? To save the household. To save. So here's this story of Ahimelech, of all people. Is a story of Jesus. Is a story of my We see that through the death of one righteous son, the wrath of God is satisfied. But how, did, how did this happen? How did, how did this happen to Eli? How did this happen to Saul? How, how did this happen to David, where he's receiving the survivor of this storm? Yeah. Eli wouldn't put his sin to death through and himself, he rejected God, and he wouldn't disappoint himself. Saul wouldn't put to death his own jealousy, his own covetousness, his own envy, and it drove him to madness and lies and murder. David wouldn't put Doad to death. And what did it lead to? John Owen, the great puritan, said, Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. But because of covenant succession, it also kills our children and our children's children. When you're toying around with the sin, and you it's not only is it a big deal for you, it's a big deal for your great grandchildren. Now I know we live in a country where we don't care spending our great-grandchildren's money. We don't give them much thought, right? We're used to it. And the church is no different. Right? It's hard for us to understand even what how what well we're doing is offensive to God. But not only could it be offensive of to God, if we nurture it and we don't put it to death, it grows up and slaughters our own household. Numbers 14, 18-19, The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children of the third and fourth generation. Please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people, for you so now. Put the enemies of God to the sword, or they will be putting you and your children to the sword. Slay the dragons, or they will slay you. Slay them, or you will become them. Happy Father's This is Ethics 101. You're either Saint George or you're the dragon. Colossians 3:5. Put to death, therefore, what is hurting you, sexual immorality, material, passion, and desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Peter 3:12 through 14. Take care, brothers. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Eli is a failure of the Father. Saul is a failure of the Father. David is a failure of the Father. Why? Because earthly fathers say. The fathers of Israel have become the enemies of Israel. Right? The fathers are putting the children to death. The fathers, the ones who are supposed to be responsible for their dependents, are now the enemies of their dependents. This is a America. Right? If you're maybe a man, what's the most dangerous thing parents Fatherlessness, the father of like the culture. You look all around you you see the father from the ground. Where are the dads? Where is the responsibility? Where is the guy killing the dragon? Where is the guy providing? Where is the guy protecting? We are fallen and broken. Because in, in the garden, in the nursery, dad dropped us. I've been dropped? And we've been broken ever since. And he was a failure and all the father's symptoms have been failures. Now we're not defined, right? It's not I I, don't, I want to be careful to say fail. I think it's a fitness state. We fail. We can't help ourselves. Because we're broken. We were dropped, we were baby. And ever since then we've been dropping the kids in the, the And so what do we do now then? Are we bereft of our father? Is there no help? Is there no one that comes along and picks up the screaming baby? And, and and comforts them? Galatians chapter 4, 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of born under law, to redeem those who were under law, so that we might receive adoption And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into your heart crying, Abba, Father, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Abba so loved the world of failed fathers that he gave us his beloved son. Abba gave us what we needed to have him today, and forever. Propitiation For and remission of sins, unconditional love. The Father gave us his son who gives us his father. What, whatever father you've had, whatever kind of father you have been, that is not the end of it. That is not your identity. That is not the, that all that there is to be said. Because the Father gave us the son who gives us the father. John one 1:12-13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of of man, but of God. Galatians 3:26. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God. Psalm 68:5. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God, and his totally have a vision. Matthew 6:26. Look at the birds of the air. You can look, you could see them. Now, listen, listen, when you're walking around outside, when you're hearing the birds, we were just at the gamble the other night, and I thought the, the music of the birds is so beautiful. I was part of the we recording, it was magnificent. And when you hear those birds, this is the season, when you hear them and when you see them, you think, oh, God cares about every one of them. And if he cares about that, if he cares about this bird making a nest in my backyard, how much more does he care for me who is his child because he knows that i was brought in the ministry. he knows it and he came and he said no this is not going to stand and he took us up in his arms and lovingly comforted us and healed us and now he sets us where at his right hand in christ that is the greatest gift that i can offer anyone a brothers Learn to be a good father from Him. Open handed generosity, provision and protection and forgiveness, grace and mercy, discipline and comfort, toxic (laughs) masculinity. Right? Because there are souls out there with their buddies go at who are trying to tell us what? Going to work every day, taking responsibility for our kids, what? Patriarchy? Lady thing? What did right? your home do? What did you need when you were a little child? What did your children need? What did this nation to do? A dad, right? Well, where are we going to learn how to be that? I've seen how I've dadded it up. I've seen it. Six kids. You need six kids. Now, I love the kid, but when, if you were to asked me you'd probably married. How many kids do you want here? Like, kids. <laughs> my wife. I'm getting married to my wife. Uh, mom? About no, this. Oh, kids. Six kids. And, have you ever sat on the end of your bed and thought, what? 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 <laughs> How come nobody told me this is what happened? Where are we going to learn? And there's a book of remembrance that was written by the Lord God. He said, You want me to be a father? I know that you were brought in the university, but I'm not being a mere I'm a father. And you can read about what I have done here. You can learn. Not only what I'm doing for you, but what you too can do in your own home, in this room. You know, there was a time where bosses were considered the fathers of the family. We call them the household. Everybody who was the top of the household alone right? Servants and employees, everyone was in this household because the man at top was considered their father. There was a time where kings and leaders and nations were considered the father. Now we call it the fatherland because we've all been witched by Marxists. But it's not a hobbledown. There's a father at the top. And he's either a good one or he's not. Now, if you want to be a good boss? you want to know what you ought to expect kind from of, them? Right? We don't need mommy. We don't need the nanny state. We need a father who's going to provide and protect the country. We need fathers in our businesses who are going to protect and provide for the people that work for them. We need fathers in our homes who are going to protect and provide for the kids there. Because the state wants them. There is a nanny waiting. I don't have and they will gladly take their kids off of your hands. And who's going to say no? I refuse. All I have is my refusal. I won't do it. In Adam, you have a you have nothing but fatherhood. In Christ, you have nothing but a loving and gracious Father in heaven who will do anything, even slaughtering His own Son to have you. Now, why? Because you're so fantastic. Sorry. Sorry, I I always have to He does it for no other reason than he doesn't. That he wants you. He so wants you that he will turn his back on Jesus to make it so that he can have you raise his children. Now, wouldn't you like to do that kind of thing? I would do anything. I would give up the thing that I love the most in order to have you, to have you, You daughter, to be your father, to protect and protect you. I've got to give up my own envy. If I have to give up my own sin, if I have to kill, give up myself in order to be Christ, to have the Father, then I will do it. Are you willing to be that dead? Now, it's hard, isn't it? So what's the hope? What's the hope? What's the hope? Doug Wilson wrote in his book, Father Hunger, that which is surrendered in death before God is always raised to life in God. This is true everywhere in all areas of life, but it is especially true of the family. It is mentioned by Malachi as one of the principal fruits of John's ministry. Bring your failed father to the of Christ. Bring your failed fatherhood to the same Let it die. Let's bury it there. And it suddenly will be resurrected. Repent of your sins. Throw it all at the Lord's feet. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to tell you way out of the trap you're in, the father failure trap you're in. The father failure to trap this country's hand. The father failure to trap the culture through the whole world anymore. They need a new dad. And there is one. There's a new dad. In his name. The and, and, and even that, he's like, no, just call me You see what I've done with Christ. Now we don't understand. Um, I don't need all these fancy old names, uh, names from the Old Testament. Just call me Abba. You have a Father in heaven who loves you. You have a Father in Heaven who wants all the lost children and all the widows. He wants to bring them all into his house. This is the Lord we serve. Happy Father's Day. Go and learn to be a father from him. And, and learn that in your failures, he will show you the way. And he will provide for you. Love for the birds. And you he loves greater than birds. Demonstrated by what he's done to his son father. Happy Father's Day. Amen. Father, we thank you so much. For your word, we thank you, Lord God, for being merciful and kind, for not leaving us on the earth the floor, for coming and rescuing us, and saving us, and healing us. We pray, God, that we would go be here and that we would be grateful Lord, for the fathers that we have had, that we would offer any bitterness and anger and resentment and failure that our, our fathers have committed, or so that we are have committed, so that we would bring them to you, and that we would bury them in the tomb that you left them, be, and that we would ri- arise in Christ and. Not only rejoice in the loving Father we have in heaven, but imitate Him in our own household, and our uh, workplace, in the world. We thank you and praise